Well, I think it's appropriate that our uh, Torah portion for today is uh, Shoftim, uh, because our guest today, Iki Elner, uh, champions that uh, concept and that work uh, in Eretz Yisrael, in the land of Israel. He is the founder of the Israel Leadership uh, Institute, uh, uh, dedicated to raising up uh, leaders, of a new generation of leaders in Israel, uh, who not only uh, uh, can strategize and lead, but lead in such a way uh, that is ethical uh, and moral. And that is something we appreciate very much. Iki is a great friend of the Messianic Jewish movement. And uh, it is a real honor and blessing to have him with us, as, as well as uh, Wilma Smart, who I guess you're kind of the organizer uh, of Iki's uh, travels, at least in these parts. And so thank you for communicating uh, with us, as well as Todd Applebaum, who is not uh, here today, who I had a great conversation with a few weeks ago. And uh, so Iki, come and uh, share what uh, is on your heart. And it certainly is a very appropriate time to hear uh, from Iki as we all watch and listen from so far away to events taking place in the land that is so dear to us, and so we're just real thankful for you to uh, be with us. So come and, and uh, share uh, what is on your heart. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Without knowing me too, too much, do I appear like someone who is completely crazy? No, that's, that's, a, that's a sincere question. Anyone think so? Okay, so... I'll tell you why you could be wrong if you don't think that I'm completely crazy. First of all, because I live in Zderot, and I moved there because I decided to do that. It was my choice. And I did that in the midst of one of the um, peaks of the conflict between the Hamas and Israel in 2007. Actually, when I was carrying my stuff into the new home in Zderot, I was doing it in between alarms and missiles. Um, probably, I'm probably crazy because I didn't leave a few months later when a missile hit my home directly while I was in the morning preparing to go out for uh, um, some meetings in Tel Aviv. I'm also crazy because I believe that training and raising the future Davids and Esthers in Israel should happen in Zderot, not in Tel Aviv, where the conflict and the hardship and the difficulties determine the future of those young men and women to function as courageous leaders of the people of Israel in the state of Israel. And maybe one day also for the people of Israel all over the world when the time comes and everybody turns their faces to the east and comes to Israel. But I'll tell you another, uh, I'll give you another aspect of my madness. <laughs> so, I flew to the States well, last Tuesday, and Monday afternoon, I remember that I hate coming empty-handed to my favorite rabbi in Ohio. <laughs> so, I was traveling from Zderot to a nearby town called Nativot. Nativot is considered to be like the town of the rabbis. I have no idea how it happened that just a, a small town in the Negev Desert has become a home 
for so many rabbis who have their courts and yeshivas there, really, and they compete, which is something I do not, I, I do not like very much, who has the bigger synagogue and who has the bigger yeshiva, but, but they attract thousands of yeshiva students. I'm telling you, this is a town that is almost always on the verge of economical collapse because everybody are students in the yeshiva. Like, who's paying the local municipality tax, you know? And the reason I drove there is because I wanted to go to one of the stores that they have there, which that have all kinds of, you know, Judaica uh, souvenirs and, and, you know, things that, you know, if I come and visit my friend here, and I'm not going to bring him a, a bouquet of flowers from Israel, really. So it should be something that, you know, really connects to the land. And we are talking Monday. One day before the ceasefire was declared between Israel and the Hamas that started on Tuesday sometime around noon. And it's afternoon. And I've been working very hard, just as Wilma has been doing in the last few weeks, to uh, make sure that this is going to be a successful trip because the needs of the community, which I will tell you later about it, are enormous in Zderot. I'm, this is really, it's a devastated, collapsing community of 22 Israelis who've been living under thousands of missiles and fires, and I'm just one of them. Um, but I, I was so tired, so I, was, I, I asked my neighbor to travel with me. But anyway, I forgot to tell you, how much time do I have? Because I can talk until next week. Uh, Okay, all right, all right. So, um, but this is important, this part is really important. So I'm calling my neighbor, Gavriel, and I tell him, Gavriel, please travel with me to Netivot, because I've got to buy that stuff, and I've been working so hard in the last few days, I'm afraid I'm going to fall asleep while driving. And he says, of course, no problem, I'll tell you whatever you need in the last hours before you fly, I'll help you. We travel, and we get excited, in the heat of the discussion whether Israel should accept the ceasefire proposal or not accept it, and the windows are closed and we don't hear the alarm. And then we stop at the traffic light because there's a red light, and sometimes we do respect red lights in Israel and stop there. <laughs> and we're, we stop and we keep on talking, suddenly the car like, boof, like travels a few meters ahead, and the missile just explodes behind the car. I almost didn't bring you that souvenir. <laughs> But, but hear me, but hear me, here is, here is the thing. First of all, nothing happened, just like with the, with the first missile that hit my home when I was in the shower. So, I would like to believe that God has a shield on me, amen? amen. And, and that he would like to make sure that I came to do a mission there, and that the mission will be successful, amen? And, and, and you know, so, you know, I can't... It's, it's hard for me to say that I know for sure that he has a shield on me, but you know, reality shows it. The missile just exploded behind our car, not, not 100 yards away, just behind it. Then I go into the town. Now, after, you, after your house is, is hit by a missile, you don't really get excited too much by the other uh, you know, happenings, like a missile explodes in my yard in the middle of the last war, and so you take it easy, okay? I mean, just be cautious, but you take it easy. So I keep on driving, we go into the town, and I go to that favorite store of mine, and I'm, I'm talking to them, and, I'm, and the lady there who sells, she says, you want something with Jerusalem, 
with some nice stones that we're doing. We're doing it here and it's a local work in a local um, workshop. And I say, yes, yes. And while I'm looking, my neighbor is talking to her and tells her what happened five minutes ago when we were almost hit directly by the missile. And apparently there's a rabbi standing next to him who was at the store. He listens to the story and he, he turns to him and he said, really, and aren't you afraid and so on? So my neighbor says, you know, I'm a little bit shaky still, but the Meshuga guy, <laughs> yeah, you didn't believe me, I'm crazy, okay. The Meshuga guy, couldn't care less. He kept on driving because he already had a missile hit his home when he was there and nothing really happened to him. And believe me, that was a hit on the house. So the rabbi turns to me and he says, listen, you have to come with me because that rabbi has a small yeshiva where he has an old craftsman who, craftsman who came from Morocco many years ago who used to work with gold and silver and so on. And now he does rings that has all kinds of holy verses on them. And he says, I, I want to give you a gift, a present, you know, one, one of the rings that we produce there. Because it's really, it's handmade, and he does a special blessing, and so on. And I tell him, you know, when I was married, one of the biggest arguments I had with my wife was the ring. I told her, please don't take it personally. I cannot stand rings on my, on my fingers. You know, I just scratch all day, it happens. He says, no. You have to take one of my rings, and it's okay if you don't want to wear it forever, but wear it this month, because it's the month of Elul, the last month on the Jewish calendar before Rosh Hashanah, and it's also the month of repentance. And I'd like to tell you something about it. First of all, he said you're going to wear it because I want God to keep on protecting you. We don't know when the war will end. The war will end. And it seems like you're busy with doing many things for your people, for your town. So you need that protection because unlike many of them, and I will go into what happened since the rot in the last two months, unlike many of them, I did not leave the town for one day. I do not blame the thousands who left every time for a few days or a week or weeks. If they have families and small kids, they don't want to stay there. They have to protect them. But he also said, and that uh, probably translation to English will kill it, so I'm sorry, and apologize in advance, but he said, this is going to be an engagement between you and God for this month. So wear it just like, you know, a ring. So, I mean, Wilma has been traveling with me now two days in, in Ohio, and she's seen me like taking it off and taking it back and taking it off. And like, but so first of all, the Jerusalem thing I just brought you is, you know, has a story behind it, which is amazing. Because really, had I been driving a little slower, I could have not got to the traffic light on time and just get, you know, the missile range and me would meet at one point. So this is something, and thank you, God, for protecting me. Amen. Look, I've been here already twice, and I'm always glad to come here. And it's almost every time that I need to bring the same news and tell the same story. The enemies of Israel are trying to destroy us, and Zderot is the heart of the conflict. My home is less than, hardly half a mile from the border. The war is in my home. It's not somewhere else. It's not Afghanistan. It's not Iraq. It's not the, the Syrian border. It's in my home. But I'm saying that I've been here twice and grateful to be here again because this time was the worst of all. You cannot even imagine. I'm telling you, you can't even imagine. If averagely in one year, Zderot has about 1,000 missiles fired at the town, 
We had almost 2,000 missiles in two months. Now try and go to the supermarket, do shopping, and you got an alarm. alarm. So just jump out your car, look for a ditch if there's any, lay down, okay? Just lay down, put your hands over your head, and imagine that this is going to protect you from the sharp nails or what, you know, whatever. This, is, this doesn't work. You cannot walk out to your car and say, okay, I need to drive to do this and that, and I'll finish this in 15 minutes, because with the alarms and the fear and the anxiety and whatever happens, it takes you one hour and a half, if you even dare going out. There were days in this conflict period that, you know, ended temporarily on Tuesday because just a ceasefire, and we know how our enemies keep the ceasefire agreements, averagely three minutes. Um, there were days that Zderot looked like a ghost town. Really, it's funny, I'm Israeli, so we, we did not watch too many um, Westerners. I'm sorry, excuse me, yes. But really, it looked like a town that was deserted completely because, you know, they had a, a gunfire, those are dead, and these ones went on to the next town they want to shoot people. This is how Zderot looked. People lost their jobs, you know why? Because factories had to shut down. How can you run any production in a factory when you have missiles hitting them or just missiles and alarm all day long? How would you go to work if you have one kid, two kids, three kids, or four kids? There's an alarm, you know, you heard the explosions. Look, Zderot is a small place. Has any of you ever been to Zderot? Well, thank God I have a witness from there. All right. It's a small town, right? I mean, really, it's ridiculous. It's like, it's like a part of a small neighborhood of, of, of Columbus. If a missile explodes outside my yard, people who know me, and everybody knows everyone there, again, because it's a small community. At the very other end of the town, first of all, we'll hear the noise, everybody shakes, and the, all the houses shake as well, and they will also be able to tell in which part of the town it fell. So you're, let's say you're two parents taking your kids in the morning, one to the kindergarten, two of them to elementary school, leave them there and you go to work in one of the businesses that still exist in Zderot. Then you have an alarm and you hear the explosions. It's not just one, it's always a few missiles together. So you start calling the kids. Who are you going to call first? Oh, and what happens if one of them doesn't answer? Are you going to stay at work? I'll tell you something, I didn't want to bring it today because I wasn't sure, you know, it's going to work like showing it here, but I have a clip about, a uh, video clip. You can see it on YouTube, by the way. It's about the Israel Leadership Institute, our school. And in, in one of the clips that we just made lately, you can see people standing in public shelters, which, by the way, is a ridiculous name for, you saw it, right? It's not a shelter. It's like a small concrete thing, like, you know, like a cube. Go inside and just, you know, it's not, it doesn't have a door or whatever. But if you're walking in the street, you want to run into it, okay? It can cover you from a few sides. And a few people can get in. And in that clip, you see people that you would think as adults will take it easy, shaking like this, like this. I'm telling you, I, can, I, I, I can't even demonstrate the, the extent of anxiety, fear, and whatever you would find, any word that I don't know in the English language, that would, would, would really portray what is going on in people's souls and minds there. 
The businesses in Zderot, and again, a small town, how many businesses do you have in Zderot? How big can they be? A restaurant here, a shop here, you know, all kinds of, maybe, maybe a print shop here, small things. 90% of them today, after two months of war, are in a danger of being shut down, bankrupted, whatever. The unemployment in Zderot, which is not a problem like every unemployment everywhere in the world. It's more significant because we are in the Negev, and Ben-Gurion said we have to settle the Negev, because if we settle the Negev, we hold the land. Any of you who doesn't know, David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel, this is one of the most famous sentences he ever said. If we settle the Negev, we will hold the land. Because the Negev Desert is one-third of the Israeli current territory. And it's almost completely deserted. You have Beersheba, the heart of the Negev. And you have a few towns like Zderot. In one-third of the territory of Israel today, only one-tenth of the population lives. Do you understand the proportions here? I mean, it's ridiculous. And Ben-Gurion said we have to hold to the Negev. If people will leave Zderot, you know who's going to make a big festival? Hamas. They won. They're not really interested in taking over physically a house in Zderot. I mean, they would like us to get out of there forever. But they're aware that they're fighting one of the strongest armies in the world, the Israeli military. Oh, by the way, people who believe in God and have the Bible. So it's not only the army. You know what's, you know what's the expression, Adonai Tzvaot? The armies of God. In Hebrew, you read it when you read the Torah, when you do many blessings. So the Hamas doesn't think that with their 50,000 terrorists and the missiles, they will conquer Israel. But they are terrorists. And you know what terrorism is all about? Putting fear in the hearts of the people. Have you seen some of the latest ISIS, you know, those crazy Meshuggahs from Iraq, the terrorists? Have you seen any of their video clips lately? Beheading, slaughtering, killing, shooting. How comes that a small group of 15 to 20,000 terrorists called ISIS is conquering now one-third of Iraq that has an army of three million soldiers? American weapons, American tanks, American jets, whatever. How can that happen? How come the 15 to 20,000 terrorists the members of that terrorist organization ISIS at the same time conquer one-third of Syria? when Syria has a military of two million soldiers. How does that work? Fear, terrorism. More missiles on Zderot, more people will leave Zderot. More beheading in Iraq, more people will, f will, will flee and run away from them. Hamas and ISIS, which turns out to be today like the most frightening thing. Well, you know what, you move to Zderot and you understand that there is no news under the sun on this, you know? But ISIS, suddenly Washington talks about ISIS. Suddenly the Western world understands ISIS, that terrorist group, it's a threat to the world. Because they're sweeping the Middle East. It's unbelievable the way they, they, they storm. In just a few months they have one-third of Iraq, one-third of Syria. They hold now all the uh, border crossings between Iraq and Jordan. And Jordan has a king that is considered, in the eyes of his people, a Western puppet. 
They laugh at him. They say that he speaks Arabic with a British accent, which of course doesn't exist anything like this, but it's, it's a joke about him because he was raised up in Britain where he spent most of his life. And he really doesn't have a local accent like the Jordanian. It is not going to take too long before ISIS and the locals who hate him will take him down. And then where, where is ISIS going to be? Oh, on the Jordan Valley. Remember the Jordan Valley and the Jordan River? That's in Israel. Zerot is a symbol of our current fight, not even for prosperity, for existence. Do you know how much the war costs every day to Israel in the last two months? 250 million shekels every day. You know why this happens to us? I have an idea. God has told Moses, tell the people of Israel, remember what the Amalek people, the Amalekites, have done to you when you were out of Egypt on your way to the land of Canaan. And never forget it. The people of Amalek, like many enemies of Israel at the time, they were the worst of all. They were simply cruel. You know why they were cruel? Because we did nothing to them. We did not want to conquer their land. We just wanted to pass through to get to the land of Canaan. If you don't remember the story, go to the Bible. It's an interesting story. The reason God has instructed and commanded the people of Israel never to leave one soul of the Amalekites after a war is because the war against the people of Amalek is forever. And stupidly, the people of Israel did not destroy all of Amalek. In a few occasions that we had fights with them and battles and so on at the old times. And God knew something when he told us, you have to kill, them, kill the last one of them. He didn't say this about the others about others like the Ammonites and Moabites. He said, destroy their cities and so on. But he didn't say, kill them till the last one. But in Amalek, we are commanded. And the work has not been done yet. And you know what? The Amaleks are the people of Gaza. Are the terrorists, are the Hamas, who are trying to destroy Israel for nothing. Do you remember when Israel disengaged from Gaza more than seven years ago? We pulled out of Gaza. Israeli government took thousands of Israeli settlers who built beautiful settlements in the Gaza Strip and did not disturb their neighbors. We did not take any of their lands, okay? But we took them out. We took every military unit more than seven years ago. Here is your Gaza Strip, 1.5 million Arabs. Go build your own self-governing entity, whatever. Enjoy freedom, do whatever you want. Don't blame us for being aggressors or whatever, conquerors. Go live your life. Did that change the missile's balance against the road? No. What started in 2001 did not change in 2006 when we pulled out. I cannot even find the words to tell you how, life, how many lives have been destroyed in the road. The tension, the anxiety, the growing number of injuries, and not just physical, mental, People are considered to be mentally wounded by the Israeli law. And believe me, we are a country that cannot afford to pay more and more and more, but we got to compensate those people. The Israeli government has determined that people that are mentally wounded because of the war in the road get free treatment from the government. Do we remember that there are only 6 million Jews in Israel? We do, right? I don't know how, how we can handle this battle longer. I'm telling you the truth, I'm optimistic. Otherwise, I would have got out of the road and say, okay, it doesn't work. But people are afraid to go back to the road today.
And I want to wrap it with a little bit of a prophetic and a biblical understanding of the situation. Look, there is a very ancient disagreement, discussion, argument between believers and non-believers, whether it's the first coming that we're expecting or the second. You know what? We are stupid, bored human beings. This is why we're wasting time and energy on this argument. When Messiah comes, are we going to have that argument, I told you, no, I told you, I told you. Well, we're going to be so happy and joyful for the coming of the Messiah, right? Amen. The kingdom of God is going to come. Jerusalem and the temple is going is to come down from the sky, from heaven, straight on Jerusalem. Are we going to waste that time on arguing? What we need to see is the signs, and the signs are there. The enemies of Israel are stronger today than ever. The big war is there. If, we could, if I could come here like three years ago and tell you about another conflict with the Hamas, you would have thought it's a local conflict in the south of Israel between the Meshuggah people who live in the road, like Ikielner, and, and a group of terrorists called the Hamas. Now it's ISIS coming all the way from the north. Do we remember when the war is, where the war starts? The kings will come from the north to Megiddo, Armageddon. And they are coming from the north. Please imagine the map of the Middle East. Israel here, Syria here, Iraq here. The ISIS is coming from Iraq to Syria, to the north of Israel. Here is Megiddo in the north. Do I need to tell you more signs? What am I? I'm not even a rabbi. I wish I would, and you would believe me, you know. But the signs are there. I'm looking at you so you can nod and say, okay, you're on, you're on the right track with the Bible, you know. <laughs> no, but truly, the signs of the end of the days are there. Had you said that something like a hundred years ago, I don't know if someone would... I wouldn't discuss it five years ago. And I'm talking now as if I lived all my life, you know, knowing this or thinking. I'm telling you, this is it. What? I will take you from four corners of the earth and bring you back to your land? This happened, right? 48, the Declaration of Independence. A state of Israel has been proclaimed. Jews are coming from all over the world to settle and live in the Promised Land. Then... Jerusalem is united in 67. What else? The signs are there, but we sometimes sit here and we say, oh, we're waiting for Messiah to come, and we pray with all our heart, and I believe that people sincerely pray. But they don't understand that they should have a share in this there. I'm not saying leave this place now, all of you get on our airplanes and go down to Israel. That's why, I mean, you could do it if you want, and I'll welcome you in Ben-Gurion Airport. I'm just saying, the things are happening there. I'm not even a, an expert in theology in the Bible. I'm j I just leave the Bible there. This is my life. The Bible is there. It happens. You know, sometimes I tell Israeli leaders, because I have some experience in working with them before, which, by the way, is why I started our leadership school, so that our future leaders will be better than the current ones. Not all of them are bad, but, you know, I don't think they're courageous enough. I have an experience with some Israeli leaders, political leaders, and many times we had those discussions of how we solve a problem, di diplomatic problem or a, a, a war conflict coming soon. And so I told them, you know what? The best answers are in the Bible. You don't need to learn mathematics and so on to come up with a formula. How do you fight Syria? It's in the Bible. History repeats itself. And if it repeats itself, the signs are there. The signs are there. The things are happening. And I want to tell you something. I made this trip to ask people to come and support us 
support the people of Zderot. And I can easily always ask Rabbi Silverman, you know, please tell your people to support us. Even from a distance, I don't have to come, you know? And this congregation has supported us nicely and always with loyalty and so on. But I want to tell you something even deeper than me just coming and going through congregations here and synagogues and churches and talking to people. If you believe that the signs are there and that the war of the last days is coming soon, and if you can understand it going on in the Middle East, although you live in Ohio and it's a distance, and I, you know, I don't know everything that goes in your life here, so, but if you see those clear signs, you cannot stand and not be involved in what's going on. It is our duty to continue and protect Israel. I'm saying it as if I'm not an Israeli talking about it, but, uh, but, but a Buckeye who's talking about it, really. Oh, the, the, you don't want to know how many t-shirts of Buckeyes I have. I'm probably the ambassador of the Buckeyes in Israel. But uh, no, really, I am. <laughs> but, but, you know, I say... I don't mean that word, but it's almost a sin. I don't mean that word. I just, you know, really, I'm limited with my knowledge in, in English. But it's almost a sin not to do your best today for Israel. Because the Bible says this is what happens. It happens now. You see it in your eyes. Get connected. Be part of it. Don't let one family in Zderot be out of food today. And we have given them food during the wartime every day. I had one thousand Holocaust survivors and by the way I don't think that you have to be an old Holocaust survivor to be uh, to, uh, to, uh, um, to be given food pack every week you can just be disabled or old and alone in the road and we will take care of you our graduates our students have done that every day every week Wilma knows every week there was a new uh, need in the road even the soldiers that were recruited and fought now in Gaza Thousands of them were reserve soldiers, and they lacked some of, their, some of the equipment they needed. I'm not talking about rifles and uniform, but for instance, they needed headband lights. Wilma knows, every week, we send a newsletter called our friends here who got a few more thousand dollars, we bow them, and you know what? Here is another uh, part of the Meshuggah standing here. I drove between the missiles and brought it to them in Gaza, and still I can stand here and talk to you. So thank you again, God. Thank you so much for protecting me and so many people. And, and please keep on protecting us. And please protect the people here and the people in Israel. Please bless what we're doing there. Please give us the opportunity together to work, not only to protect Israel, but to ensure that the restoration of Israel, the very existence and the prosperity is there. Because one day, all of us will be there, not just by saying we're part of Israel, but because this is what the Bible says. We need your support there. We need your help. I want each one of you to think about a family in the road that needs you and the work that needs to be done now. This is a devastated community there. And I can promise you, my energy, all our students, all our graduates, voluntarily, will do whatever we can to put that community, to put the road back on track. This is our initiative. We want to make sure that business are working there, people are not fired, People do not leave town because we want to stand strong against the enemies of Israel. And last thing I want to tell you, I really hope, and don't think that it's a political thing I'm saying now, I really hope that this month-long ceasefire that has been declared between Israel and the Hamas fails because you are not allowed, and that is, those are the words of God, to let any of the Amalekites live and survive. 
We got to go in and finish because with terrorists, you make no agreement. You make agreement between governments, not with terrorists. They're not going to change or detour their, 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 their way and their route trying to destroy you. You got to stay strong. And I'm glad I can be here and see a lot of sympathy and love and care that you have for the people of Israel. Because when I, can go, when I go back, I bring this message to them. Keep on supporting us. Give us generously your love, your prayers, and support us financially. Because you are one of the bricks that builds the walls around Israel to protect her. Thank you so much. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>